welcome to the Nittany Blues Podcast. By Penn State fans, for Penn State fans. Here are your hosts, Andrew and Vince. Hello and welcome back to the Nittany Blues podcast where we talk Penn State football, basketball, and all things Nittany Lions. Thanks so much for joining us here, Andrew Bird, alongside Vince Vidali, and Happy New Year all of you. Hope that your New Year celebration was safe, happy, surrounded by family as we now all get back to our daily lives, going back to work and all that less than fun stuff. But we've got some fun stuff to talk about here today. We've got some transfer portal news to go over. We've got some postseason report cards to hand out for the football team. This should be a pretty fun discussion. Before we get into that, Happy New Year, Vince. Uh, Good to see you, bro. Yeah, Happy New Year. The New Year means we get to do more podcasts, so that's always enjoyable. How was your New Year's Eve? It was good. It was quiet. We did a little bit of a winery trip during the day on New Year's Eve. Went and did some wedding planning, actually. So we got some stuff figured out, you know, now that we're approaching roughly six months until the big day. So we're, you know, trying to figure out some of the smaller details, but did that. Went to a bar downtown to watch the second half of the Eagles game. That was less fun, Um, (laughs) you know, because we were surrounded by Eagles fans all, you know, watching the same game. We were with a couple of friends and everybody was just dumbstruck on how that game ended. And so that that was less than fun. But yep, we went out for dinner, came back home. We were home by like nine o'clock and then we just kind of watched some of the New Year's Eve celebration stuff on TV, like Dick Clark's Rock and Eve and watch the ball drop and. So it was it was pretty uneventful, but it was it was nice and quiet. What about you? Good time. So first off, I did the most Vince thing ever. I ran a 5K downtown. Oh, so yeah. downtown State College has a first night 5K, and I actually wasn't going to do it. I I normally don't sign up for a ton of local races because you never know what kind of competition is going to be there. Like, but I ran into my buddy. I was just going out for a run. Saw him running the opposite way, so I was running with him, and we were talking. He's like, "Oh yeah, I'm doing the 5K." I'm like, "Oh cool." Like. I know you'll push me and like, you know, make me do my best. So like, I'll, I'll join you. So I, I actually won the the 5k. So that was fun. won that by 10 seconds. So it was a close race and it was really fun. Like you just started on a South Allen street at that intersection on college Ave. So you sprinted there, went up burrows and did a couple loops around campus. So really fun to just run through downtown state college when it's normally jammed with traffic and be running through campus, having all that closed off. So Definitely awesome experience being downtown and they had some like cool ice sculptures. So enjoyed doing that. And, you know, very frustrated that like Penn state didn't win Eagles didn't win. So like thought, okay, like better about myself that I at least once something and had something going for me. So that was nice to kind of lay back on that. And then I went to a friend's house and did some karaoke, had a good time there on that karaoke lose yourself. That was one of the songs I did. (laughs) nice and i was just like my like my heart and lungs are like pumping faster i'm like oh my god this is harder than harder than the 5k i just did so was uh, was danger zone by kenny loggins also in the rotation i did not get the danger zone i did a lot but i you're right i should i should have done that one shame on me but it will definitely be on the to-do list if karaoke is in your bachelor party i will definitely do some danger zone for you all right well we'll have to make that happen then Absolutely. So, you know, 
good things in state college. And then we, you know, on the next day, got to enjoy some pretty intense college football playoff games. But in reality, for the most part, this was like the worst weekend of like just football in general. Like I'm just watching Penn State lay an egg at the Peach Bowl and then followed by the Eagles just losing at home to the three and 12 Cardinals. And even when they kicked that field goal, you just knew Arizona was going to go down the field and get a touchdown. Like it just felt like they needed a touchdown to win that game. So it was just, that was just the gut feeling I had and, you know, it came true. And then you see Michigan beat Alabama, you know, the, the cheaters, sign stealers, whatever you want to call them, making their way to college football championship while we're, you know, here losing to Ole Miss and the Rose Bowl. So definitely kind of a bummer. And then, you know, obviously, you know, the 5K was like the only thing that clipped me out of the pit of misery. So, you know, glad that had that to balance out the the sadness of what was uh, football for, you know, Central PA and Eastern PA fans. Yeah, I, I, I think that's uh, pretty well said. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of crazy just when you really take a step back and look at that Eagles game, just how depressing it was like from a defensive standpoint, because the Cardinals didn't punt. And I heard on a podcast that that hadn't happened in a game in like 60 years. So the Eagles had an all time bad defensive performance. And, you know, and like the only time that they got stopped was when Sidney Brown took that interception back to the house. And so, yards. <laughs> and so on, you know, first and 20, that sequence of draw, draw, then wide receiver screen that got plenty of booze from the fans definitely did not inspire much confidence in the offensive play calling. Couldn't help but draw a little bit of a comparison to Penn State and that final offensive sequence, the first half against Ole Miss, where they went, you know, run up the middle, overthrown ball in the flat, and then running Drew up the middle, only <laughs> then to punt. I couldn't, I couldn't help but like be like, hmm, I feel like I've seen this before, but yeah, that that was a bummer. I feel like the Eagles right now. I mean, it's. I keep talking to you know some friends and coworkers and stuff about this, and I'm like, at this point, like, am I am I frustrated? Sure, but this is it's gone beyond the point of like frustration to now. It's like it's almost funny, you know, because it's like how can they possibly make this this situation worse you know like Mm -hmm. where you're you're in the playoffs but everything's still on fire you've got defensive coordinators being demoted and you have new guys coming in and that backfires completely once matt patricia has to face an actual starting quarterback (laughs) so now you just kind of have to throw your hands up laugh a little bit and be like what do you do now like what else you got nick (laughs) Yeah. clearly what you're doing right now it's not it and the the funny thing is like even at the point in the season when they were 10 and 1 right and they were still winning these like games kind of ugly and they're they're 10 and 1 and like every single week they're like oh we got some things to fix and clean up and then we'll be good like every single week and it, it's just the same thing keeps on happening and but the difference is we're losing these one position one possession games at, you know, with the exception of getting blown out by the 49ers and the Cowboys. It's just, they haven't played a single good game the entire year. Like not one game I've turned on the television and was like, man, the birds just like offense, defense, special teams. Like, Oh, it's pretty good today. Like not a single game. And they're 11 and five. Like, it's just 
kind of mind boggling that they can achieve that mark with how bad they've been. But and it's really disappointing too. Like that was that's probably like Jason Kelsey, you know, BG, Fletcher Cox. That's probably their last game in the link, losing to the three and twelve Cardinals. Like that just sucks to have like OGs like that just potentially going out that way. Yeah, I think that's probably the worst part of it all. But yeah, it's 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 crazy now. I mean, when you look at like you're right. They, there's not a single game that you could point to where you're like, oh yeah, like that one felt good from beginning to end. And Zach Berman of the PHLY Phillies, or excuse me, the PHLY Eagles podcast, also on allphly.com, had a really good point about this where he says, you know, one thing that keeps coming up in conversation, which he strongly disagrees with at this point, is the term uncharacteristic. You know, we're making mistakes that are uncharacteristic of this team and of it's the not players. Uncharacteristic if it happens every week. Exactly. <laughs> and not only not only that, it once once you get to week 17, 18 of the season and you're still making these mistakes, it's no longer uncharacteristic. That's just indicative of who you are as a team. So, you know, it it's just kind of a, a weird message to kind of be like, oh, this isn't who we are when, you know, what we see on the field very much contradicts that. It's like that, uh, what is it, Jerry Springer, like me, where it's like, and the lie detector, or the detector determined oh, that was Maury. a lie. Yeah, Maury. Maury. The Maury show. But yeah, good stuff, though. You want to you wanna talk some Penn State, though? We, we, got some, we got some fun stuff to talk about, so we can, we can get off the negativity train. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to get to the, the college football playoff first, or do you want to circle back and do that later? Yeah, let's do that later because I think we have something bigger that has been on the minds of Penn State's fans, especially today. Today was a huge news day for Penn State football. So let's let's talk about the thing that probably has fans most excited, and that is the addition of Julian Fleming to the Penn State Nittany Lions roster or the Penn State Nittany Lions football team out of the transfer portal. Obviously, if you followed Penn State recruiting at all or if you're attuned to the various storylines around this, Julian Fleming was a big time recruit out of high school, out of what at the wide receiver spot, number one receiver in his class, went to school in central PA, Southern Columbia high school, huge Penn state target. James Franklin and crew wanted him very badly, had him on campus for a ton of visits. Ultimately, Julian decided to go to Ohio state, much to the chagrin of the Nittany Lion faithful, including us two here. <laughs> but so. A couple weeks ago, Julian entered his name into the transfer portal following Ohio State's loss to Michigan, and the the rumor started swirling that he might come back to Penn State, and there were more reports coming out that he was on campus and meeting with coaches and things of that nature, and today it was made official. So Julian announced his intention to transfer to Penn State. So Vince, uh, what were some of your immediate reactions and thoughts on this move? first reaction was kind of like hey thank you blaze alexander <laughs> like whatever they did couldn't have hurt so yeah nice to see uh, see them coming to get a, a wide receiver with good production big 10 football that's something you love so love that i also love that we got an ohio state guy coming over here like i i would not think that is something that would be happening ohio state guys leaving to go to our program so i think that's really cool especially after they've been poaching our basketball team with like Jamari Wheeler and Evan Mahaffey. 
So a little salty about that. So I feel like that kind of balances force out a little bit. We're, we were due for this. Love to have a PA guy back in PA. He uh, went to Southern Columbia Area High School, which was uh, in our district. So that's something that was you know, also really cool. Followed fellow District 4 athletes. So for, for us, that's really cool. And then last thing I absolutely love, Trent Guy. Runs a 10.86 100-meter dash, 23-foot, 10-inch long jump. Got second place at the PIAA Championships his junior year before making his way over to Ohio State. So just all-around athlete. Love to have the speed there. As well as the you know the explosiveness in the in the long jump, and I, I think with the, the football skills there, you're looking at wide receiver number one for Penn State, which is something they've desperately needed heading into the off season. And if we were to do a New Year's resolution podcast, like find a number one receiver, that would be number one on my list. I don't know about you, but I, I'm glad they they got him and crossed a position of need off the list. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. This was a dire need for Penn State. I mean, we don't know exactly what went wrong with the wide receiver group this past season. I mean, tons of speculation, tons of rumors there, but it was kind of just clear that Penn State was going to need help at that group going into next year if we were going to see some kind of turnaround on the offensive side of the football, whether that came from internal and more development of the guys who are already in the program or via the portal and you know kind of going down like that that keon coleman wrote route or something like that you know where you're just bringing in and injecting talent that way and i think that you know just calling him wide receiver one right now is completely fair you know you look at his numbers at ohio state like they weren't they were never the leading man type receiving numbers but you got to remember the guy played on teams with like Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Jackson Smith and Jig and now Marvin Harrison Jr. like that is you know top of the top of the top level wide receiver talent in college football type of stuff but he was widely you know productive for all the for the targets that he was getting he was effective he was efficient so you don't really see him as a guy who like has issues with drops and stuff like that another thing that i think is really cool to kind of point out is his ability as a run blocker as well you know that was one thing that a lot of outlets also reported on today just kind of stating that among all ohio state blockers and this includes linemen he was number 2 rated by pro football focus as far as his ability to run block so you know just a guy who's pretty unselfish just really the numbers show that he does what it takes to get his offense down the field and he's you know obviously a big target at speed to boot so hard it's hard to really kind of beat this i think this was a huge get for franklin and kotal nicky because i have to imagine that kotal nicky is probably a huge part of the message and the pitch that's being sent to any transfer portal target on the offense because you you know quite frankly if you're a wide receiver you're probably not looking at Penn State as your first option just considering how little use they kind of had for the wide receivers this year relative to a bunch of other programs so to get a guy of this caliber I think is um, is big in a lot of different ways yeah I think so too I'm sure Nick and Catron are also very happy the, to have a run blocker like that on the edge and Maybe we kind of get what we've been asking for with maybe a little more of the, you know, run runs to the outside instead of just straight up the middle every single time with that inside run game, because that was obviously was not working. And 
you know, you, you saw the production drop off from Nick and Catron and, you know, a lot of it was the play design and play calls were very different from the year prior. So I think that's, you know, a big get for Penn state, you know, definitely one of those things that has you feeling a little more optimistic heading into the 2024 season. Very good. Yeah. So another thing that we got going on that should give Penn State fans some optimism is Devon Ellis. So uh, Devon Ellis, the five-year defensive tackle on the team today, announced that he will be coming back for his sixth and final year of eligibility for Penn State. And this was huge for a lot of different reasons because he's, you know, obviously an experienced guy going into his sixth year of the program, but he's also was arguably Penn State's most consistent presence at defensive tackle, recorded more tackles at that spot than any other player on the team. So, you know, kind of look at him as kind of a, a PJ Mustafer type guy who's just been around college football for so long, but is so productive and just such a rock solid presence. So, you know, considering the fact that we'll be losing Chop and Adisa, and we obviously feel good about a bunch of guys who are going to be stepping up, to have a guy like him coming back for the defensive line is pretty significant. Yeah, I think that's huge. You know, especially with the guys you lose to have a couple guys coming back. I think that just just improves the room, right? And I think you can say save the same for Julian Fleming at Ohio State. You know, that it's kind of the old expression, iron sharpens iron. And when you have that level of competition, like the Ohio State wide receiver room has had over the past five years, it's just, you have to be good or else you're, you're not going to see the field. And to, for him to be able to be that number three wide receiver, on their team and get to the field in general. I think that's huge. And, you know, him being an older guy, he might be able to contribute and, you know, help teach these young guys kind of the the intricacies of the wide receiver position and maybe help them become more productive as well. I think that's a great point, you know, because there's, there's no, there's really nothing out there that can replace experience, you know, and, like, not that I think that Julian is all of a sudden going to become like this, this like great teacher of football. Like, all these guys know how to play. Like, otherwise, they wouldn't be at Penn State. But, you know, Julian has played football at literally the highest level of competition in college football. You know, he, he went to, he went to, multiple college football playoffs. He played in the national championship, even though, you know, Ohio State got gobsmacked by Alabama in that game. Like the guy, the guy has played against the best in the most high leverage situations that exist in the sport. So just having a guy who's out there who has seen it, has literally done it in these types of situations like that, you can't really replicate that sort of thing. So, well, I think, do I think that'll be like the silver bullet that all of a sudden turns this wide receiver group into Washington? No, but it definitely doesn't hurt either. Yeah, I think so. Cool. So we got some, the good stuff out of the way. So let's talk about the not so good stuff. So even though we did add a big time wide receiver to the squad, we did have a wide receiver leave the program in the form of Dante Cephas. So the wide receiver has, is reportedly entering again, the transfer portal again, after spending a year at Penn State after coming to Happy Valley from Kent State, also through the transfer portal. This was a guy who, you know, a lot of analysts and pundits out there really thought was going to be a great fit for Penn State. He was very successful at Kent State, highly productive, but unfortunately the potential never really materialized at Penn State. He only had a handful of appearances in a, in a couple of different games. 
played in pretty much all of them, but uh, never really had any like those those splash type moments, except for really Maryland, where he recorded a couple of touchdowns. And that was the game afterwards where you and I were sitting here and saying, we finally have a wide receiver, too. And then it was just kind of a roller coaster. It hit that peak and then it went right back down. We didn't see him in the peak bowl at all. This probably had something to do with it. Not really sure, but either way, you know, it's tough to have a situation like this where you just felt so good about the guy coming in before the season and it ending the way that it did. Yeah. Like I remember we were like popping champagne when we got the news that Dante Cephas was coming here from Kent state and just really not to see him much early in the season. It, it was just very awkward. And we expected him to really take over that wide receiver two job from the get-go and maybe even potentially be a wide receiver one with his production at, at Kent State. So it was just really disappointing to see that not materialize. You know, really surprising to see him not be on the field, especially with the, the lack of production. Like, I think you can maybe argue for like someone like a Harrison Wallace or Amari Evans when you want some more speed, like they looked good in the blue-white game and stuff, but... You know, at the end of the day, like he just the production wasn't there. And I, I don't blame him for transferring because the coaches didn't put him on the field. And it's not like there was someone clear and obvious that was that was better than him. So I, I really don't blame him for trying to, you know, look into other programs. My crystal ball prediction, I think I'm gonna just for fun say he's gonna go to Pitt. Cause that would be such a thing to do, like something didn't go good at Penn State and like he transferred to Pitt or something, like so that's that's my my Vince's crystal ball. So if I am right oh, on man. that, like I'm gonna laugh so hard. <laughs> I think you might. I think you might be onto something here. Like that. that like, would that's surprise like, me. That's that's the only university that's in between like Akron and PA, and he's a PA guy. So who knows? Maybe Narduzzi will you know get him over to Pitt and be like, hey, we we run a real offense. And <laughs> dude, not only that, but Dante went to Penn Hills High School in Pittsburgh. So that that'd literally be right in his backyard. Hey, Nostradamus right here. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> like, well, yeah, I, I think we, we need some like special tag or something. I'll have to like create a graphic where it's like, you know, just with you with like the crystal ball. And it just says like Vince Stradamus on the bottom. So yeah, I'll, here just like my mic right here. Like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll have to do that, but uh, no, good call. Good prediction. So also on the transfer portal front, Penn State did have another player enter his name in Jake Wilson, defensive end on the scout team. He's a guy that a lot of people on the team think very highly of. He was uh, recognized as pretty much the top developmental squad player on the team. So a lot of respect among his teammates and in the program overall. So he is, you know, looking to find some more playing time in another situation just so. So hope he finds, uh, you know, a, a situation in a program that's the right fit for him. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's uh, you come here to Penn State because you expect to compete and, you know, nothing is promised to you. Coach Franklin makes that very clear when anyone comes here. And uh, the fact that he's earned, you know, such honors, I think is awesome. But it's totally understandable if he doesn't want to wait forever to play and, you know, head to a smaller program and, you know, see the field a little bit more. Amen to that. So that's all I have as far as news on the transfer portal front and guys like committing their intention for next next season. I want to get some of your thoughts on uh, some interesting names that have popped up here in the transfer portal that might be of interest for Penn State. So a couple names here. I got Tony Grimes, cornerback from Texas A&M. He was also previously at uh, UNC. 
Reason why I wanted to bring this up is because he was rated as, I'm pretty sure the number one corner out of his class when he was in high school. And he was a huge, huge, huge Penn State target. I believe he was out of Virginia as far as high school. And Virginia is a huge mm-hmm. recruiting hotbed for Penn State. So that's one that I think we should definitely be keeping our eyes on, especially since we're losing both our starting corners. Did um, his dad play in the NFL? Maybe. I don't know. His <laughs> rhyme sounds familiar. No, it, it totally does. Hold on. <laughs> Wait, was that the guy who got in like the fight with Andre Johnson? Like the Titans corner? He's like uh, a smaller corner. That was Finnegan, wasn't it? Maybe. I don't know. What's his name again? Tony Grimes. That that name sounds so familiar, but it, it could also be. Are you thinking of Rick Grimes from The Walking Dead? <laughs> that's funny. I was going to be like, oh, is his dad Rick Grimes? <laughs> I was like, no, that's The Walking Dead. <laughs> Okay, his his dad's not an NFL corner. I'm, thinking, I'm okay. thinking of somebody else. <laughs> yeah, I just Google that and oh, are you thinking operate- Brent Grimes? Brent Grimes? Yeah, maybe from. So I feel like he was like the, a Falcons corner uh, from the Buccaneers and the Dolphins. Maybe played at Shippensburg. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, maybe I think that's, that's who what I'm thinking, thinking of. of. Yeah, yeah, that's who I was thinking of. It says he yeah. was he signed as an undrafted free agent to the Atlanta Falcons in 2006. Right. So there you go. And the guy, yeah, Just and the guy the, who, uh, so you that's the guy of. who I'm thinking of. They're, they're not related. Right. And then the guy who got into the fight with Andre Johnson is, uh, Cortland Finnegan. Gotcha. Well, just like Grimes seems like a, it just seems like a name for like undersized, like feisty corner. Like, <laughs> but Tony, Tony's got length for days. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Well, he, he's about six feet tall. Let's see. Yeah. I think I it was six taller feet. than that. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Six feet. Okay, so that's like that's like average size for a corner. Yeah. But it is funny, like there's such a big difference between like five eleven corner and six foot corner. It's just it's like true. it's like the meme. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's like, oh, every girl wants a six foot man, and it's like it's like five eleven is very close. Like it's not like you're that much smaller. Right. Cool. So the last name I got here is uh Victor Stoffel, offensive tackle from Temple. He's looking to be a pretty highly recruited guy in the transfer portal here penn state is going to be losing their two starting tackles for this next season so i don't think it's uh, very much of a stretch to say that penn state is going to look to add some depth there add some experience even though they probably feel good about like drew shelton jay van williams and now anthony donko making his appearance at right tackle in in the peach bowl but you know similar to fleming definitely is not going to hurt to add a guy who has more experience yeah, absolutely. And if you look at the kind of the state of college football right now with the transfer portal, everything is an arms race. And the more competition you have, the more that's going to, you know, really elevate the uh, the ability of the players because if you don't outperform everyone in your room, you will not see the field barring injury. So, that lifts everybody up. And then if there is an injury, that gives you some more depth to play around with because uh you're not going to make it through a, a college football season without injuries. That is that is the unfortunate truth. I feel like Penn State, you know, for the most part, avoided a lot of the injury bug this year. Yeah, they really did. Trey Wallace, I feel like, was the big one kind of yeah. all year. And Evans but, a little bit, too. Yeah, and then JB got hurt on the offensive line. That hurt. Landon Tangwell, I think this year he retired. Oh, yeah. Injury, too. So right. there were some some things here and there, but really for the most part, yeah, you're right. Penn state was really lucky to avoid the injury bug this year. And it's such a shame that, you know, they didn't 
meet up to the expectations of Nittany Lion fans. That's true. Yeah, this is always going to be the season of what if, right? Yep. Cool. So those are the names I got. Any other thoughts on this or the transfer portal before we move forward? I hope they get some corners. Yeah. (laughs) I I thought Cam Miller looked pretty good in in the Peach Bowl. I was impressed with his play. Like, I feel like people were knocking him, but like, you're not going to find many corners in, in college football that are like stopping those like over the shoulder fades. Like, and that's a really tough throw to make. It's just, I, I think people, your casual fan just kind of underestimates Jackson Dart's ability to do that. Like, there's not many quarterbacks in, in college football that can make those throws consistently. And there's also not that many wide receivers that can make those catches consistently, too. I mean, you know. Trey Harris and Prescorn were making acrobatic catch after another. Yeah. And I hope we see we see more of those, those plays. Cause like I was watching a Michigan Bama game where they ran that trick play and threw the ball to JJ McCarthy and he had to make this like crazy one-handed catch before he threw the ball. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, would it be nice if our, our wide receivers did that a little bit more? <laughs> so Michigan's got their quarterback making catches like that. So that was that was uh now, like a funny little joke I, I told our group, but yeah, so I think it's good that we're adding talent to the wide receiver room. That's awesome. We're losing three corners though, all starting, all three starting corners. So I really hope that Penn State's really able to attack the corner position in the transfer portal as well as uh, recruit recruiting and developing as well. Yep. Cool. So do you want to move on to report cards or do you want to talk college football semifinals? Let's move on to season report cards before we get into the other teams. Cool. All right. So if you've listened to the podcast enough times here, this is something that we like to do after the end of the college football season. We like to just kind of take stock and assess the team, give our thoughts on how Penn State did across the various position groups, as well as the coaching staff and things like that. Just a, you know, fun little exercise to attach a great and numerical value to their performance as you know, two guys who are just fans. So this is uh, purely for fun and uh, nothing else. But uh, Vince, I have something a little different that I want to try. I want to see if we enjoy this and maybe we want to do this uh, for more of these report cards for mid-season and post-season moving forward. So I hope you're excited for this like I am. Yeah, let's do it. I'll, I'll let you lead off. Very good. All right. So the way this is going to work is we have no like pluses or minuses. So it won't be like a plus or a minus. It'll just be a straight a, a, b, c, d, or F. And depending on the grade that you give that particular position group or that coach or, you know, that side of the ball, whatever the case may be, I'll like, you know, give you the prompt will equal the number of points and F is zero and a is four points. So that is the, that's the scale. And at the end, I will kind of give you like your score breakdown and say, okay, is this how you, like, would you say this is fair and indicative of how you thought the offense performed this season? Make sense? Yeah, sounds good. Hopefully we can make the Dean's list. Yeah. Well, <laughs> on the offense, I'll just uh, kind of say. Or honor roll. Yeah. Honor roll. On I'm, <laughs> I'm not super, super optimistic, but we'll see. So let's, let's kick things off here. So let's start with, uh, let's start with the offense and let's just dive right into probably the most polarizing and discussion heavy part of that side of the football with the quarterback. So I think it's pretty fair to say that uh, it's not just a, a grade about Drew Bo is thrown in there as well. So what grade would you give the quarterback position this season, Vince? I, I think Penn having the ability in this exercise to not be able to 
give the you know the plus or the minus like I would like to makes it more challenging. Definitely somewhere between that C and B range, but I, I think I'm gonna go go with the C here. It just really was underwhelming, and there were definitely good moments at the quarterbacking position, but there were definitely moments where it needed to be better. Let's be honest, like the Michigan and Ohio State games, those were not great performances. Peach Bowl, not a great performance, and and when you're a quarterback. You're you're graded on the big games. You're not graded on you know UMass and, and Delaware. So I think I'm going to have to award that position group a C. I think that's fair. Yeah, those are the games where the the stakes are the highest. They're the most high leverage games as far as your position in the conference and in the rankings nationally. So yeah, I, I think that's completely fair. I was a little more lenient, I would say. I was leaning between B and C. I ended up going with B because of the touchdown and inter- interception differential. And, you know, even though uh, like a lot of these yards and a lot of this production came against, yeah, you know, we'll kind of say like mediocre to bad teams, those stats still kind of point to a quarterback that is like average to somewhat good in college football. I mean, even when you looked at stats between him and Jackson Dart going into the Peach Bowl, if you looked at those and looked at nothing else, you might actually say that like Drew Aller might be the better quarterback. Now, obviously, that's not what we saw in the Peach Bowl. I mean, Dart really, he looked like a baller. So, you know, I it's definitely not a territory. You know, if we saw some better performance in those big games and we still had a similar interception to touchdown ratio, I, it would probably put me into a territory. But I'm I'm going with a B for them. Yeah, that is true. And that's a really valid point. Uh, you're almost making me want to change my answer. I'm like, okay, <laughs> like Drew Aller just like set the FBS record for like not throwing an interception and I gave him a cease. <laughs> but kind of feeling like a jerk for that. So I, I do think a B is very fair. Yeah, but uh, you know what? Like, I think it's also it's also fair just to say that like, you know, when you look at those throws, like it's not like he was pushing the ball down the field and like stretching the field, trying to go over top of the defense and stuff like that. That only happened on like maybe three to 5% of any offensive plays that occurred this past season. Like a lot of those plays were, or a lot of those yards, a lot of that production was um, like through the tight ends and kind of grinding out drives and stuff like that. So, you know, I don't think that necessarily means you have to like, you know, give him the top, the top marks, even though, you know, he was protective of the football. He also threw a lot of balls that were uncatchable. Yeah, that is true. And there were a couple early in the season where I was like, oh, that should have been picked. And they, they weren't the defensive back just didn't make a play. But uh, yeah, I think those are some valid points. And I think with you giving them a B and me giving them a C, I, I think that is a good balancing thing on our grading scale. Good. Yeah. Good balance. So, all right. Running back. So Nick and Catron and Trey Potts, what do you got? Since we can't do pluses and minuses, I'm going to give a, give it an A. And I, I really just think the peach bowl for Nick just showed that holes were not there. And when the holes were there in the running game, you no, know, he looked great. And Catron looked great this year. Trey Potts was, you know, not only running the ball pretty well and catching pretty well, he was making some good throws, you know, through touchdown this year, which was awesome. So I think the running back position was really good. And, you know, you can't make up for holes not being open and really poor play calling. And then also, you know, the offensive coordinator, whoever it was, you know, whether it was, you know, in the Peach Bowl or, you know, Mike Yurchich during the season, 
they abandoned the run at times when it was working. So that's not their fault. So I'm, I'm going to give them an A. Good stuff. Yeah. And not only did they abandon the run when it was working, they also abandoned the run even when the passing attack was not working. So some questionable play calling to be sure. I also have an A. I thought that they made the most with the opportunities that were given to them, especially down the stretch. You know, it, it just felt like so many times both of those guys were close to breaking one open and they were feeling themselves. They were, they were hot. They had the hot hand. And then we just saw, you know, them kind of swinging the other direction. Either way, both those guys rushed for 902 and 752 yards respectively between Allen and Singleton. So couple of, you know, highly productive seasons for both those guys. Just, uh, you know, they didn't get really the opportunities that we think that they needed just given their, their level of, of talent and productivity the year before. Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair. What position group are we hitting up next? The offensive line. So your, oh. your favorite group, what grade you got? My favorite group, man, this is, this is tough. I do feel like it's kind of like the quarterback position for me. I'm kind of between that B and C range, but I I think I'm going to go go with the C. When you have running backs to the caliber, Katron Allen and Nick Singleton, like you don't got to be a superstar. You just got to get something there. And I know there were several games this year where like, hey, deep ball's not there. Let's just like grind it out and do some like three to four yard runs. And Penn State really wasn't able to do that points when it mattered this year or they they got away from it with play calling and if if you're pass pass blocking like that should be enough time for for wide receivers to get open so i I think i'm going to go with a a c here unfortunately yeah i i also have a c and it really just has to do with uh the lack of of pushing in the running game i mean there were so many games that we watched them it just it just looked like they just couldn't get a push i mean you remember how mad we were in like when they played illinois and northwestern where they were just rushing for like one yard per attempt like there was just no push they couldn't get anything open for nick or catron everything was just tough sledding so i would say i was i was between c and b because i was like they were they were pretty good in pass protection. They kept Drew upright for the most part. I thought pass yep. protection was by far their strength this season. But yeah, just the lack of like the ability to run like when they had the, the opportunity to do so puts them in C category. Yeah, it does. And it's kind of funny because the Peach Bowl was the opposite. Like they looked good running the ball and then just didn't look as good in pass protection and Drew yeah. looked kind of frazzled at times. So kind of weird how that how that played out in the end. I think that the pressure coming from the left side really messed with him. Like he just, he just wasn't used to like having guys be near him on that side. Yeah. And when you're a guy like Drew, who's really good at taking care of the football and all of a sudden you have to worry about your blind side that speeds up your clock so much. And you got to be thinking that, Hey, I got to get rid of this football faster because I don't have Olu on left, left hand side. So, you know, he's going to be a big mess next year. Amen. So, Next group, another favorite of yours is the tight ends. Love my tight ends. I think this is debatably the you could argue put them in the argument for best position group on the team. I'm gonna go with an A. Same. Yeah. Tyler Warren, Theo Johnson, Khalil Dinkins, all highly productive, reliable weapons, red zone targets, great in, in blocking downfield, everything that you want from your tight ends. A. A. Easy A. <laughs> 
So what's probably not an easy A is uh, the other form of pass catcher, and that is the wide receivers. So Vince, what grade do you got for the receivers? I think this was the you know biggest group that struggled on the entire team. And I, I think this was a, a big you know, reason why Penn State lost so many big games this year. Uh, just the inability to create separation despite you know good pass blocking from Ole Fashanu and the offensive line. Like, yeah, we did give them a C. But, you know, they were good good in facet, some facets of the game. And the fact that out of all the guys we had between Keandre and, you know, Trey Wallace, Amari Evans, Dante Cephas, Dante Cephas, Liam Clifford, it just seemed that no one was consistently creating separation. And Keandre was really the only guy who was doing much in the beginning of the season. And then he, he even disappeared towards the second half of the season. You just didn't see as much of him. So I, I got to go with the D for this group. And that that's really based off of what Keandre Lambert Smith did in the, the first half of the season for me. I'm sorry. What was that? I, I didn't catch that. So what was your grade? Uh, final grade was a D. Understood. Okay. Okay. Very good. So I also have a D, no pun intended, but uh, I also <laughs> have a, a D here as their grade just because it, it's only because of Keandre. Like if it wasn't for Keandre, it'd be an F. But Keandre was the leading receiver on the team as far as yards, which is honestly kind of amazing. But, you know, he was, he was the difference maker in a couple of, uh, in a couple of these games, like not all of them, but some of them, he was wide receiver one for sure, but there really just was no consistency and any like effectiveness or really just true threat outside of him. So I, you know, I had to go with D it, this is re- really just a huge disappointment because like for a top 10 program to have a position, an entire position group be this ineffective for an entire season is just, it's inexplicable. So that was, that was just a huge, huge disappointment for me. Yeah. And you know, it was such a disappointment that like we had ourselves comparing ourselves to Iowa. Like that's how bad the wide receiver group was this year. And really, it's really disappointing consider like Franklin's background is wide receivers and he got rid of Stubblefield after the wide receivers did have a really good season with uh, Parker Washington, Mitchell Tinsley, Keandre. Those three guys are crushing it the previous year. And just to see this big drop off with Marquise Haggins, it, it, it was a big disappointment this year. So here's here's a quick little factoid for you, just to kind of put into perspective, like how ineffective they were compared to some other programs. So I'm looking at Washington's stat sheet here from this season. Washington had two receivers with over a thousand yards in Romo Dunze, who finished with over 1500 yards and Jalen Polk, who has 1100 yards. I think this might be still accumulating through the semifinal, but then Washington still has two other wide receivers who have 526 and 419 yards respectively in uh, Jalen McMillan and Jeremy Bernard. So Dante, or excuse me, Keandre Lambert Smith, had 673 receiving yards for the season. So that's almost just barely enough to get over the receiving yard total for Washington's number three receiver in that category. And then the the number two and number one guy doubles and nearly triples that, that yard total. Yeah, it's one of those things, again, big disappointment. And we're out of an aging college football where... Like if you're not getting a good air attack, it's really tough to win now. Like, you know, 
a decade ago, you used to see Bama just like crush it with their running backs and like get like Greg McElroy at quarterback. And you saw like Trent Richardson and like Najee Harris and guys like that. You just saw them pound the rock and have a really good defense and, and win national championships that way. That's not really the case this year. Like you need to have the receiving threat. Yeah, you need to have the receiving threat. And like you can make the argument that, hey, Michigan, like they don't do too much, but that I think that's just because they're a, a run first team. They have a good offensive line and that's just their style. They try to wear you out. But if they need to, they can make some passes. Like you saw some big big plays when they needed it from the receivers in the national or the semifinals. So, you know, they made plays when they needed to. Penn State doesn't have anyone that can do that right now. It's true. Okay, so when we look at the entire offense, just in terms of the position groups on the field, out of a total of 20 possible points, I had 14 out of 20 with uh, my grading score for a 70% score. So if we're kind of using like traditional like grading system here, that equates to about a C. By comparison, you had 13 out of a possible 20 points for a 65 or a D. <laughs> so would you say that a D is reflective of like what you'd think of the offense overall in terms of their their effectiveness and their productivity this season? I, I might round it up to a C. Like, you know, they played some of the best defenses in college football and, you know, the Buckeyes and the Wolverines. So again, not really anyone drops the tons ton of points on them like you can argue maryland did better and you know some teams like that but at the, at the end of the day it, it's a c team like they it they looked good against some teams and then some teams they didn't look great against and then the other teams like they looked ugly but they would do enough to win games so i i think a, like a c minus is a very appropriate grade all right very good so we'll do the same thing now for the defense. So I have this split up into five different position groups again here. So let's start with the defensive tackle. So we're looking at, you know, PJ Mustafer's replacements in Zane Durant, Devon Ellis, Koziah Izzard, Hakeem Beeman, and some others. So what grade would you give these guys, Vince? Give me an A. They were really good for majority of the season. If you look at, you know, total yards. Not many teams in the, in the country were better than Penn State. So I, I got to go with an A. Yeah, in the same boat. I mean, Penn State leading up to the Peach Bowl was the number one defense in terms of yards allowed. You know, they were just stingy everywhere and extremely stingy up front. Not many teams outside of Michigan was able to run the ball on them. And the defensive tackle spot was a big reason why. I know early on, we were kind of waiting to see who was going to take up that mantle after PJ graduated out of the program. Really seems like Penn State has found that answer and they found a nice rotation of guys who they feel pretty good about. So, you know, it's huge that they're going to get a lot of this production and this experience back for next season. It makes me feel good just with Tom Allen coming in at, at DC. You know, he has experienced guys who are going to be able to kind of blend and adapt into any alterations that he makes to to the system. But for right now, yeah, they're definitely in A territory. Yeah. And let's look at, you know, offenses that they held them to like Missouri's high, high powered offense against like Ohio state put up 14 points. And then you had, they held them to like 21. So I, I think that's you know pretty good. And like Michigan only put up 20 on Alabama or I guess it was 27 at the end. And we only gave up 
20, 20, was it 24? I believe so. Yes. Let's see here. So we gave up 24 points. Yep. Yeah. So I'm the Ohio state one wasn't a good example, but Michigan in, in the playoff, I think is a good example. So it, right. you're looking at our defense being very comparable to Alabama, which, which is a good thing. And yeah, <laughs> if you compare an Ohio state defense, missing a bunch of got a couple guys and they're holding Missouri's high flying offense to 14, like that's, that's pretty good too. So like, I, I think they're in that type of territory. Fair point. Okay. So moving on then from the interior, we're going to the edge. So defensive ends, what do you got? Give me an A. Like they were pressuring the quarterback at all times of the year this year and just wrecking havoc. I'm all about that. Give me an A. Same. Yeah. Chop, Adisa, Deny Dennis Sutton, all just hugely productive. Even when Chop was injured at part in times uh, during the season, this was one of the most dangerous groups for Penn State. Manny Diaz found just a plethora of different ways to get those guys to the quarterback, and they were relentless. So it will also go A. Yeah, love to see it. Linebacker, you moving on to linebackers. What do you got? Yeah, so I I also have an A here. I was uh, I was really happy with uh, the way that the linebackers played all season long. I never really looked at them as like anything more than I would want them to be, which was you know stopping the run, half decent in 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 coverage like when they needed to be, and also getting after the quarterback. We saw plenty of that with uh, Curtis Jacobs and Abdul Carter, and Abdul really took a big step in being able to stop the run as well on some pretty creative uh, run blitzes this season. So I was really happy about all that. So I have an A. Yeah, same here. G- give me an A. Just uh, <laughs> doing just their job. Through this side of the ball. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is going to be much quicker, I feel like. Yeah, give me an yeah. A. Yeah, very good. All right, corner. So Johnny Dixon, Kalen King, and Daquan Hardy. What do you got? Just might as well keep it going. You get an A. <laughs> you get an A. I, I got right. an A for the corners. You got three guys that are probably going to be drafted. So, and they did well all season. Which that'll probably be a first for Penn State to have three cornerbacks drafted in the same class. I'll bet you that's never happened before. I don't, I can't imagine a time when that would happen. Yeah. Despite Penn State historically having very good defenses, I, I would love to see the stats on that. But you look at yards per play on this defense 4.16. The the only team I can see here on the list of top defenses is Iowa at four point zero eight yards per play. So like like what what more do you want from them? And in, in exactly. terms of yards per game, the only team that gives up Michigan gives up four point five less yards per game. And yeah, it's just they don't give up many yards or you know points. Even they gave up twenty touchdowns and you know. You have Michigan giving up 16, Ohio State giving up 15. You got Iowa giving up 18. So in, in reality, like those are the, the three teams that are above that, better than them in that statistic in terms of touchdowns given up. So yeah, really impressive. Awesome. All right, so that's the corners down. Let's go to the safeties. So last line of defense, what grade do you got? I love KJ Winston and his game. Like, that that that's an A for me. Like they just were like this defense this year was just it was just poetry motion, especially when they were on and against Ohio State and against Michigan. Like they just like played out of their minds. It it was just a pleasure to see 
really the the only game where I feel like the defense kind of let us down a bit was the Peach Bowl. But then again, you have they were missing uh, everybody, missing three starters on your defense out of eleven. Abdul gets hurt, so that gives you four starters missing. And you know we can talk about Penn State's depth and how good it is and everything, but yeah, you know, there's always drop off at at positions like that. So very I'm, true. I'm, I'm gonna have to go with an A. It's very it's true. A clean sweep for me. Yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat. I thought that Kevin Winston and Jalen Reed both played very well despite being some some young safeties. I loved what they did as far as uh, bringing them down for some safety blitzes. I hope that that doesn't go away in Tom Allen's system. You know, that just kind of remains to be seen, but they're both highly versatile athletes who got after the ball. I mean, Kevin Winston Jr., it just seemed like when somebody had the ball and they were in the second level of the defense, he was there. You know, he had, he had a nose for the ball. He was always around it. And, you know, I'm just excited to see what year two being a full-time starter has for him. Yeah, he's definitely one of the players I'm most excited to see next year. Probably, yeah, definitely in the secondary, most exciting. You could even debate that for the front seven. He was just yeah. all over the field this year. So, yeah, give up, you know, KJ, KJ Winston's my, my like player to watch next year. Awesome. You feeling like Jim Thorpe level player? Yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> cool. A little, little little bit of optimism. Sweet. So let's let's go to some other parts of the team here. So I have this broken up, you know, pretty similar to what we've done in the past, but so for special teams, I have them all grouped together here. So we're looking at kicking, punting, coverage, and all that stuff. So what grade would you give that group? I think I would give them a B. You you saw some missed kicks early in the season, and then Alex Falcons did a pretty good job. You did see the blocked field goal in the Rose Bowl, or sorry, the the Peach Bowl. That was not great. Punt team, pretty good for the most part. I, I think a, you know, a big positive was Daquan Hardy when he took over the punt returner role. That was huge. That 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 definitely lifted the grade up. You have that Nick Singleton fumble on the kickoff return against Northwestern, I believe it was. That was their first turnover of the season. So, you know, some miscues there. Gabe Nwosu, Really good at just kicking the ball to the back of the end zone and forcing touchbacks so you don't have to worry about returns. So those those were kind of my thoughts, the team this season. So when you average all those things together, I think I'm going to give them a B. That's fair, I think. Yeah, I I was just a little more lenient, I would say. I went in the A category only because of like – just kind of how consistent Falcons was throughout most of the season, you know, once he solidified that starting kicker position. And also uh, Riley, Riley Tompkins. Or is it Tompkins or Thompson? Thompson. Right. And just how good Riley Thompson was in many spots during the season. I mean, we talked about after the Iowa game, how he was, you know, just pinpoint accurate in being able to force a couple of special teams turnovers in Penn State's favor. Daquan Hardy took a couple of them to the house. You know, obviously like some of those miscues, like the Nick Singleton drop and stuff like that, that's that's a bummer and definitely makes it more in the category of being B. But like I said, I just felt I felt like that was like you know, outside of the defense, just such a reliable unit overall. So that's why I went. Yeah. I, I think for me, it was just kind of the couple of mistakes. And then like in the Rose Bowl, not blocking for Falcons to kick. Like that's a, can't have that. And it's true. And then, you know, there were, there were some missed kicks by Falcons this year as well. Like he wasn't perfect. So no, that's true. Yeah. yeah. So for me, I'm like, you got to be a, a real stud. It's hard to get an A for me. So. All right. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. So 
now that we're outside of the player groups, we have some coaching grades. So defensive <laughs> coaching, what would you give Manny Diaz and his crew as far as a grade for this season? Uh, I don't think this one uh, needs too much thought on this. In terms of uh, yards allowed, Penn State second in the country behind Michigan. Like, that's an A. Like, it's just not much to say about it. Differential was number one in the country, you know, heading into the postseason. So it's it's an A. You you went in turnovers, you went in yards, uh points were amongst the lowest in the country. Not much more they can do. So give me an A. Wonderful. Yeah, I also have an A. This was the unit that Penn State could hang their hat on all season long. They were the reason why Penn State was able to hang in those games against Ohio State and Michigan for as long as they did. Penn State time and time again was able to turn away the opposition, create chaos, you know, in the in the offensive backfield of their opponents, force some turnovers, stifle the run game. I mean, they they just did it all. Manny Diaz and his crew did a masterful job utilizing all those players' talents and created a really special Penn State defense. So it's a clear cut A. Yeah. And for me, looking at the the squad, like without that defense playing to the level that they did. Like, I would say you're probably looking at like a seven and five team instead of a 10 and two team. Like, strong feelings there. Like, they struggled against Northwestern. They struggled against Illinois, struggled against Indiana at home. There was a lot of bad football at times. Uh, So, thankfully, we had that defense. So, it's there. They definitely get like, my finale fighter award out of like all the positions in the, of the season. Like, yeah. Like just give it to the defense. So we're, I'm very thankful and grateful to have that talent of players and just not only being talented, but knowing their assignments and making plays like it, it was a really good, good year for the defense. Well said. Okay. So flipping over to the other side of the ball, the offensive coaching, what grade would you give for this embattled group? I'll call it. Yeah, this group was very inconsistent. Like you look at West Virginia and Iowa, like they look great. Ohio State, Michigan, Ole Miss, they look terrible. Then against like Maryland, who's a pretty good squad, they look great. And Michigan State, they look great. Illinois, Northwestern, they don't. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with the C. It's just they're meh, like, okay, like satisfactory. They're a satisfactory offense. That, that's what they were this year. Okay. I was harsher than you. I went D because, Ooh, wow. uh, yeah, because I like, let me put it to you this way. You can't have your offensive coordinator be fired midseason and get a passing grade, you know, whether that's like a C or above in my book. And the re- also the reason like why I went D is because the only times that we really saw any sort of like good offense or just consistent offense, like where you just felt like, you know, they were able to overwhelm their opponents was, was against bad teams. And when they played against good teams, we saw tons of reports that, you know, the, the offensive play calling wasn't being done the way that they had planned, or, you know, they weren't expecting like certain things. So they just like went off script. And we've talked about it time and time again, about how they go to the run. It works. They go away from the run. That doesn't work. But then they don't go back to the run soon enough. I think that just kind of the lack, just kind of situational awareness with some of the offensive play calling was just a huge, it was an anchor for this team. 
for for a lot for a lot of parts of this season, in my opinion. So, you know, I think that, you know, the running backs being coached the way that they were and the tight ends being coached the way that they were, were a big reason why, like, this didn't just go into F territory for me, because like I said, (laughs) like, you know, you just, you can't like really feel good about like a certain side of the football when the, when the leading man like loses his job before, like a couple of games before the season's over. Like that's, that's pretty indicative of just, you know, things have, are not going well. So I, I have a D. Yeah, that's pretty harsh. Uh, I was not expecting that from you, especially if you being more of the positive one kind of throughout the grades, but definitely a surprise for me. I think that's one of those situations where like, you're not as bad as you think you are when you're bad. And like, you're not as good as you think you are when you're good. I do think it's kind of like that situation a, a little bit. Cause there, there were games. They look great. Like, like Maryland, Michigan State, they they look good, but bad teams. That's bad point, teams, though. exactly. Yeah. So did it against Although the bad Maryland, teams. Maryland did smack Auburn in their bowl game. Yeah, they did. And you know, again, like it's this Penn State team is you know they're solid, but they're they're not great or elite like Franklin has talked about. And you know it it, it showed in bowl season. Amen to that. So that's a good segue here. So the last position or coach that I have to get a grade from you for is the head coach. So what grade would you give James Franklin for this season? Okay. Are are we skipping special teams? Are we just keeping that the same? Yeah. I mean, if you want to, if you want to do like special teams coaching, we could add that. Yeah. Like that, that would probably be a B for me as well. Just because that's how the unit performed. Like it would, like, I think for them, like a minus B plus that's, that's where I'm at. I definitely didn't think about like the Riley Thompson kind of punt turnovers. I think that was like, you know, a lot of skill from him. So I might have to give him an A individually, but yeah, I'll go, I'll go B with the special teams. How about you? Okay. Yeah. I'll also, I'll also just go, I'll just keep my answer of A from the first one. I just didn't feel like they're like, we've seen bad special teams from Penn State in the past, like where they were just a huge liability. You know, you never really knew like what you were going to get if, you know, after Penn State had like a momentum shifting drive, like where they went down and scored, whether they were going to give the ball back to the other team, like in great field position and stuff like that. Like we've seen situations like that before. And that really wasn't the case I felt with this past team. So I'll just keep it at an A. I thought they were, I thought they were solid enough. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, I could even be talked into giving the coaching the A because I think like missed field goals were a lot of reason why I brought it down to a B and and maybe the next Singleton fumble in the Northwestern game. So I, I think I'm actually going to change my mind here and give a special teams coaching an A because there's not much they can do about that. That's just more of like players making the the individual play. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, let me just tally up some things here before we get to Franklin. Oh yeah, yeah. We still we still got James the Jimmy big, himself. The big topic of conversation. <laughs> yeah. Is this, this going to be polarizing? I, I don't think it's going to be too polarizing. I think my answer is going to get like reaction from the fan base one way or another. Okay. Great. Would you give Coach Franklin? Yeah, you know, James. It's who he's always been. He says he wants to be graded for you know his wins and his losses. So I I got to be. He's a, he's a 10 and two coach, 10 and two, 10 and two, 10 and two. Like that's a a typical James Franklin year. He's talked about, you know, being a great 
a good or great team and then trying to get to elite and that has not happened. So, but they beat everyone they were supposed to beat this year. They lost the big two and they lost a, you know, a bowl game. Like they had some opt outs. Like you can point to that a little bit, but at the end of the day, Ole Miss probably would have beat them, but it would have been closer. So, yep. I got a, a B for James Franklin. You know, we're in a better position than most programs are in the country. A lot of programs would kill to be 10 and two. So when you're a college football playoff team by the, the new standards for next year, heading into playoffs and you're in that top 12, you can't complain too much. So that's why I got, I got to be for, for James. Okay. So again, I'm going to be a little harsher. Um, I'm going with a C. And the reason why I'm going C is because, you know, just, I don't think that being 10 and two and losing to Ohio state and Michigan again should be overlooked because Penn state got to 10 and two because they got through their non-conference slate. They got through their third hardest challenge, maybe in West Virginia at home. You could argue that that also would have been Iowa, but you know, once they kind of got through those tests, it was, in my opinion, almost all but guaranteed that they were going to be 10 and two because they weren't going to lose to the other competition that was out there. And the main topic of conversation or the big question mark was, can they beat either one of those teams? And the answer both times was a big resounding no. And a huge reason why was because of their offense. And Franklin is an offensive guy. He was a college quarterback. He coached wide receivers at the college football and pro football level. And the wide receivers was the most ineffective unit on the entire team. There was no other unit on the team that you could point at as being like less useful in game to game situations. So, you know, did he do very well in bringing Manny Diaz, a guy who was built to create just an absolute demon of a college football defense? Like, absolutely. He deserves the credit for having the the foresight and, you know, making the pitch for him to come here and Penn State benefited greatly from it. But the fact that, you know, when we look at the the schedule for next year, if we apply like this year's team to next year's schedule, Penn State could possibly be nine and three or eight and four. Like that just puts a different perspective on it. And I get that it's like you play the teams that are in front of you like for that particular season. But what I'm getting at here is that Penn State has been 10 and two the last couple of seasons, mostly because they've been squarely the number three team in the Big Ten. And, you know, that's just what they've been. But you can't keep preaching the same message over and over again and not make any headway towards those goals and expect to like kind of get the same grade. So 10 win season, awesome. Like it's it's fun, but I'm also a big believer in that the way that you win or lose games in college football matters. And the way that we lost against Ohio State and Michigan this year just just did not really inspire much confidence. So it's harsh, definitely harsher than what I had <laughs> the midseason, but I'm going C. Yeah, I think that's very fair. I, I don't think it's an, an unreasonable grade. If you look at more of the ways how they won and how they lost, a lot of ugly wins, and then the losses are even uglier. So that, at the end of the day, is going to fall on the head coach. We talked about him being an offensive guy and not fixing the problems with you know the wide receivers or the play calling. Like, you're the head coach. You can do what you want. Like, call the plays. Like, if you're not happy with your offensive coordinator, don't just can him. Like, you can do the plays. Like, you're getting paid $10 million to, to call the plays. So, go do it. <laughs> yeah. 
Well said. I mean, it's just really concerning that, you know, the state of the offense got to like where it was before there was really any kind of like action taken and, you know, like just indications that change was coming and also like no, I guess, kind of insight or information into like, okay, like here's like what we're going to be doing. I'm going to like have more of a hand on like these sorts of things. It's like, I get that you want to be like kind of the CEO, keep everything under wraps, like sort of thing, because like you just don't want people to kind of run with a message. But when the offense is so potentially talented with all the guys that you've got coming back and drew like having all the potential in the world, it seems to be the quarterback that leads Penn state into the next phase of its existence really as a program, the the offense can't look that bad so many times in games against good and bad opponents and not have questions like that thrown your way. Yeah. I, I think that's fair. Like it's, he keeps doing the same thing and expecting the different results. I, f- I feel like, and I just don't feel like the changes are being made to, get Penn state to, to the level it should be at, which is, you know, competing for a big 10 championship, which is going to become immensely harder starting next year. Yeah, it is going to get, it's going to be a tough sledding next year, man. Like I was like, I looked at the schedule. And I'm like, I could see seven and five. Like I would like, if you were telling me, Oh, Penn state goes seven and five. I'd be like, well, seems legit. Like that's what my response would be. So Fair enough. Yeah, because I mean, like next year, it's like you're looking at at USC, at Wisconsin versus Ohio State versus Washington all in a row. And you've even got UCLA right before that. That's that's a that's a tough freaking slate. Like you're looking at like eight and four probably. And week one at West Virginia. Yep. They seem to turn their season around. They're going to be out for blood like week one. No one knows who they are yet. it's, there's a long time between now and, you know, Labor Day. So it's a lot of things can happen, like just being away and not playing football for that long. It It's you get those pregame jitters week one of the season. So going to be a tough. Then you got at Minnesota, which Penn State lost last time they went there. Uh, Maryland at home. We've played bad against them multiple times at home. So I don't know what it is, but yeah. A lot of a lot of tough games on the schedule next year. Very good. So when we tally up points from our grades from all these various position groups, so for you, you gave everybody a that you gave everybody forty nine points out of a possible sixty. That translates to an eighty one, which would be roughly a B. I had forty five points out of a possible sixty for a seventy five or a C. <laughs> so what do you think of our final grades? You think they're like indicative of what we kind of expressed as far as our thoughts on the team, or would you maybe sway it a little bit up or down accordingly? I'm kind of surprised I'm I'm the optimist here with the, the higher grade. <laughs> so that kind of made me chuckle a little bit. Yeah, I think B minus is an appropriate grade for this team. And it's it's a ten and two team. It's a it's a good team. It's not a great team. I think that's pretty well said. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would Probably say like if I had to like do it over, maybe I'd say, okay, like it, this is definitely a B team because you don't get 10 wins without being like at least a good team. But yeah, I mean, it's just, like I said, though, the ineffectiveness on the offensive side of the football. And it's not even like because of, because of the players either. Like 
they have all the talents and all the athletes out there. And that's why they were able to put up 60 points against some of these teams. I mean, you don't do that without having a bunch of great players. I just think that the play calling and the coaching and the, and the game planning around them was just that poor. Yeah. I, I think that's a fair argument to make. And, you know, hopefully some changes are made and uh Kodalnicki is able to get things together and this offense gets back on track. And, you know, probably my biggest fear heading into next season is that, you know, this defense is going to have a drop off just because of, in terms of talent, especially among the secondary scares me a lot. And you got a new defensive coordinator. You don't know really what, what to expect there. And I think you're going to get some, if like there's a poor defensive performance or two, I think you're going to have people being like fire Tom Allen when he doesn't have the talent that Manny Diaz's players did on the, the previous roster. So yeah, it's going to be a, a tough year next year for for penn state that's for sure yeah we'll have to wait and see but this was fun you know another year of postseason report cards in the books you got any other final thoughts on this before we move on to some other topics uh yeah let's head on to bowl season let's do it so obviously the two biggest games of the bowl season just took place in alabama michigan and washington texas so what did you think of the games yeah, I think another good thing is, you know, there, there wasn't blowouts like the college football playoff has been in the past. Like last year was really good. This year was good. So really happy to see a, a close competitive game. That typically means that, you know, agree or disagree, the college football team or playoff committee is is picking good teams to go and compete for a national championship. So it was really good to see, you know, competitive games. I was kind of surprised with you know, Alabama, how they closed out the game. I was expecting them to win it, but Michigan just kind of seems to hang in there and, and they did enough to win the game in overtime. And I, I think a lot of that was, you know, coaching and play calling, which is where Penn State has struggled and just not making the right calls. They they know what they're good at. They have an identity that's running the football and, you know, sprinkling some passing to keep the, the defense honest and they play really good defense. And, and that's what they did. Yeah, you know, I, I I was really surprised that Michigan was able to pull it off with I think I sent you this crazy stat. They had like a muffed punt, missed extra point, missed field goal, and then they still ended up tying it and then winning it overtime. So like special teams is like Michigan's Achilles heel. And I, I think UW's gonna need some luck in terms of that to try to beat Michigan because I, I think their defense is really good and they're gonna slow down Roma Doomsday and Michael Penix Jr. I, I think it's going to be tough. And you saw Dylan Johnson get carted off the field in their victory over Texas, which that was looking like a blowout. And then, you know, shit got real fast. <laughs> like it was, I, I was watching the game with Maggie, who's a, a UW alum from oh yeah her, her master. So she was heavily invested. And with 244 left after they kicked the field goal, I was like, oh, you don't really have to worry about it. But before they kicked the field goal, I saw 244 on the clock. They're at like third and 10. So you got to think the the analytics for getting a touchdown are pretty low. They passed the ball. So instead of like burning like 40 seconds, they burned four seconds. And I'm like, that was dumb. Like why? Like even like before I saw if the pass was complete or not, I was like, that was dumb. Like you could have just ran it down to two minutes and made it a two possession game. And you took so much time off the clock, you know, Texas would have had to burn another timeout. And then they get in this situation where 
a bunch of fluky things happened and like the clock just played so well in Texas's favor because they didn't burn those 40 seconds or like, Texas burn that extra time out. And, and you look at it and you have a player that gets a freak injury because you have to run instead of take knees. So that was something that happened. And then you have that, that stopped the clock and that gave like Texas an extra 40 seconds for the injured player. And then you punt the ball. I think they had a false start actually. So that moved them five yards back yep. and then kick catch interference, which again, dumb, especially when they're fair catching. So that's 15 yards there. And they got a couple big plays like Washington starting corners out. There's an injury there. And it's just like, you, you just put the team in a bad situation when you don't take every second as much possible off the clock and two possession game. And yeah, really shocking. Thankfully they were able to hold on. Like I would hate to see them losing away. It's like they lost, like even despite the, the bad play call by the coach, not making Texas burn that timeout. Like it still would have sucked. They really lost that game. Like it would have been because Dylan Johnson got hurt and like they couldn't run the clock, the play clock going. So like, Happy that UW was able to pull it off because I do think that they're the better team, especially with how they played. And I'm I'm really looking forward to that to seeing how that offense does against the Michigan defense in the playoffs. Yeah, well said. I mean, I think that two highly entertaining games for sure to start. For me, it didn't really like change too much of what I thought about the committee's decision to leave out Florida State, but that's a you know different conversation. But <laughs> oh, another thought I had was like. I was watching Georgia just steamroll Florida State. I'm like, Georgia probably would have beat all four of the teams in the college football playoff. Exactly. Like, yeah. Like that that's what I'm that's what I'm saying. Like one of their arguments, like, you know, going back to their selection was okay, we have to pick like the four best teams. And I'm just looking at it, I'm like, so you really are gonna sit here and tell us to our faces, you know, via national TV, that you don't think Georgia is one of the four best teams because I think that's ridiculous. And I think they proved that. But Nonetheless, so yeah, just two two highly entertaining games. Fortunately, justice did not prevail in <laughs> the Bama Michigan game. It was yeah, just uh, you know, kind of it just kind of felt like one of the last chances. I mean, you know, both figuratively and literally to kind of put them away. It was kind of funny. I saw some some pictures of some Ohio State fans that traveled to the Rose Bowl. And they had all these these white shirts that said Ohio State fan here to cheer on Bama. And I just have to say like that level of commitment to go and hate on your rival is astounding. Like just kudos to you to spending that much money to go to the Rose Bowl only to cheer on the opponent of Michigan. Like that that's just tremendous stuff. That's hilarious too. And like Michigan's a team, it's just like, well, they they got caught cheating and they're like the Patriots. Like that that's who they are. Like Tom Brady went there. They're, they're the Patriots, the college version of the Patriots. Yeah. And then you have Alabama who you can argue like doesn't deserve to be there. Like they lost to Texas at home. They needed a fluky, like fourth and 30 to go their way. I don't know how they beat Georgia. Like, like, I mean, Georgia, like they were dumb and got a false start penalty or a delay game, something like that. And, Got moved back five yards, and then the kicker hits the upright, which, you know, based off the trajectory, you're five yards closer, that goes in. So it's just one of those things where that I think is a, a positive thing for college football. Like, you used to have just, like, 
two very top heavy teams in college football. And now I feel like it's expanding to like where you have more, like at least five or six teams are all so close together in, in terms of playing. And you saw Oregon like steamroll Liberty, which yeah, Liberty lower level competition. Yeah. They look, they look good too. And they were highly competitive with Washington, just like Texas was. So they're, they're a caliber team and, you know, Ole Miss looked really good. So it, it is, it is, uh, I, I do think it's, it's getting to a point in college football where you're starting to see the, the playing fields level out a little bit. Missouri looked good against Ohio State. And like, yeah, so it's, it is good to see, like, okay, like you, you have 12 teams and you can make an argument that anyone has a good chance to win a national championship. So I, I do think it, it is a, a fun place for college football to be in. I just think the playoffs should have been here a year earlier. Yeah, agreed. But yeah, so gave my thoughts on that one. So Washington, Texas, super fun game again. Really just, you know, Texas got bitten by their own mistakes like time and time again, just with some of those turnovers and, you know, with the, especially with, um, you know, especially late in the game in the fourth quarter, like they were driving, seemed like they had some momentum and they just turned the ball over again. And somehow, some way it still came down to the final play like that. That's just craziness to me. You know, so Washington, that passing attack, it really is just reminiscent of like Joe Burrow and LSU just throwing the ball all over the place. Superstar wide receivers everywhere you look, just guys just being total dudes down the field. Odunze is going to be an amazing pro <laughs> like that guy. It, he just seems to have like magnets for hands like the ball just uh, is just around him and then it just appears in his <laughs> hands. So I'm excited to see like what he can do. I'm with you. I think that this is going to be a really good national championship game. Strength versus strength passing attack for Washington versus the staunch defense of Michigan. I thought it was kind of interesting how they kept showing Arch Manning in the second half of the game, <laughs> you know, cause they were saying, Oh, like Manning is stretching. He's doing some warmups and stuff like that. Like, you know, are we going to see Arch Manning here? Cause saw that, you know, Quinn Ewers might, might be injured and stuff like that. So yeah, <laughs> I don't, I don't know how many Texas fans were, were clamoring for, for Arch like at that point in the game, because it, you know, the game was like still in question, but yeah, I just thought that was interesting. Like it's it's one of those things that's funny. It's just like you're acting surprised that like a quarterback's throwing a football on the sideline. Like they're gonna, <laughs> right. they're doing that they're doing that at times anyway, because like you never know when an injury is gonna happen. Like and then you gotta go out there right away and you don't wanna be cold. Like that's just dumb. So you you're gonna keep your your arm going at times and you know, trying to stay warm. Like you you see both throwing all the time on the sideline. Like it's it's nothing new for quarterbacks to do. That's a very good <laughs> like, point. Like if you saw like, I don't know, like their wide receivers like throwing or something like that'd be weird, but like it's, it's a quarterback. It's not weird to see them throwing on the sidelines. Very true. Okay. So who do you got in the national championship game? I feel I, it, it, it's weird. Cause like Washington's offense is so good and I think they're better, but I feel like, like Michigan almost has that Patriots factor. It's just like in football, Whenever there's like a scandal with like a team cheating or something, that team always wins. So I don't know. It's it's like my brain's telling me that Michigan's gonna win, but like my gut's like UW's got this. Like Michael Penix Jr. It is tough. They're probably not gonna have Dylan Johnson. Like he he got carted off the field, which that that just sucked to see. Like him not being able to like celebrate a college football playoff victory when with his teammates. Like everyone's happy except him. 
and he's just kind of like being carted off like all on his own like that, that just sucked to see you know as a fan and as an at like former athlete so i hope he's he's okay and like i don't know if i'll be able to get like a cortisone shot or something to be able to go i like i just hope it's not a you know, serious injury that'll impact this year or even next year. So hoping he's okay and wishing him the, the best for his health. But I've seen just to like on this topic, I've seen that he, it was diagnosed as an ankle sprain and that he is expected to play in the game. So we'll see if okay. that changes, but that's at least what I've seen so far. Yeah. Cause I know he, he had something going on lower leg heading into the game and he probably re-aggravated it. So yeah, that's that's tough though. Like I so I'm sure he's gonna get some sort of like painkiller injection, like a cortisone shot or something like that, and he's just gonna be playing through it. I mean, hopefully the week of rest helps, but yeah. <laughs> Ankle sprains don't heal that fast typically. So he's gonna be playing. No, they don't. And, but that's what you do when you have an opportunity to like win a, a national championship. One last thing on like the U dub win. Did you see that like Texas fan that was like trying to like get the Washington players like fight him in the stands. Oh, I did. What are you doing, <laughs> dude? It's like, dude, what a loser. Like, you're a 40 year old man. Like, and there's like kids right by him, too. Yeah, like, I'm pretty sure that was like his son next to him. Yeah, it was probably like his kid or something there. They have like paid all this money for like these like front row seats. And like, also, like, I don't know, like, if you're like a d1 player like you 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 also gotta know better if you're a, a washington fan like that's some lose like you, you don't get in fights with losers like that that guy's clearly a loser or, or like you know blacked out or something like or both you know, or both yeah like yeah if you're a 40 year old man like you're not trying to like fight athletes like and like they were like swearing at him and like like trash talking it was like don't don't mess with the fans. Like if you're a player, like you know, like like go celebrate with the, like with your homies that you like won this college football playoff game. Don't don't be worrying about some losers in in the stands and trying to like make them feel bad that their team lost or like I don't know. That's just, I don't know. That, those are my thoughts on it. Just like kind of both losers on both sides of it. I, I do think the Texas fans definitely like more of a loser. Like if you have to like look at the scale on that side of things, it's like. Dude, you're like a 40 year old man who's like probably like peaked in high school. Like, it's like, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Just unfortunate. But yeah, hopefully we see some good, uh, good sportsmanship and whatnot in the, in the chip. Yeah. Ho- hopefully it's a little better. But, uh, yeah. So I think, did, so did you, did you make a selection as far as the winner <laughs> kind of going back and forth? Uh, it, uh, yeah. It's one I'm really torn on. You want me to give you mine? You know what? I, I need to make my my decision first because you might impact my decision. Okay. You know what? I'm, I'm gonna go UW. Give me UW. Okay. Despite like my brain being like, oh, the Michigan cheats, they're gonna win. Like, I'm, I'll go UW. And also, fun fact: this is the the first game since 2014 to not have an SEC team, which is pretty exciting as well. Yeah, big big year for the future Big Ten, huh? Yeah, and I, I think yeah, two, yeah, two future Big Ten opponents. I, yeah, I think uh, 2014 was that the like Jameis Winston, Florida State, and they played Oregon. They played Auburn in that game, but Auburn's in the SEC, so that wouldn't be it. Oh, that what that two non-SEC teams? Made yeah. It? Oh, that was uh, 2014. Well, that that would have been junior year of college. Well, right, but that that would have oh, did like Oregon play Florida State? 
I'm like trying no. to think back. I'm like, when did this happen? Did Clemson's play someone not in the SEC? Probably. Let's see. Why why is it so hard to remember? We're just so used to the SEC being in the championship. Yeah. Oh, it was it was Ohio State and Oregon. Oh, okay. Ohio State and Oregon. Yeah. <laughs> that was the that was the Cardale Jones year. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's why yeah, that's why I'm like, why am I struggling so hard to remember this? <laughs> but 2014, so January 6, 2014, Auburn did play Florida State. So right, yep. At least I got the one of the right teams that did play in 2014. It was just the 2014-15 season, right? But cool. All right, so you got UW. As much as it pains me to say it, I'm going to take Michigan. I think that that defensive line and that defense overall is gonna going to prove itself to be a problem. I don't think that Washington is going to be able to move the ball as effortlessly as they have been throughout parts of the season. So I, I just, uh, I don't know, like I said, it pains me to say it, but I think, I think Michigan's going home with it. Yeah. I, I do think that they will shut down Dylan Johnson in the running game, like especially on the interior, Washington's going to have to win this game with speed. They're going to have to hold up in pass protection. They're going to have to be smart, like no dumb stuff. And, capitalize if Michigan does dumb stuff like they did against Alabama. Yeah, but like I, I can kind of see where you're going to because Washington's defense is not the best. And I do think that Michigan can put drop 30 on them at least. And but who knows? You know, Washington's a team that can drop 40. So you saw Alabama put up 27. I think you UW has a, a better offense. And you know Time will tell. I think it's going to be a really good game either way, though. It's going to be close. For sure. Yeah. I I think, you know, for me, it's more so like what version of Washington is going to show up? Like, are we going to see the team that dropped like 59 on Cal and 52 on USC? Or are we going to see the squad that dropped 15 on Arizona State? It is. Yeah. And I, I think something that Michigan's done well is Michigan has been very consistent all year. Right. Like, take care of the football. They don't turn it over. Like if they can't stop Blake Quorum in the run game, like it's going to be a long day and you're going to have to see Michael Penix Jr. being a hero, especially with some of the drives that Michigan is going to be able to sustain too. Yeah. And when your defense is out there that long and they can get gassed and it's, it's a long football season. Yeah. You're kind of swaying me to like pick Michigan, man. Like it's (laughs) just like true Vince. Stay true. It, I'm more like I don't know, picking Washington because I want them to win, but like I also like to win too. Also like just, just like Roma Duze and like Polk, like those wide receivers are so good, man. Like we thought Ohio State had the best receiving core. I'm like it might be you, Dub. Like it might. It, it's just, I mean, they're obviously better at the quarterback position, but man, like that off, they're just fun to watch too, man. Like it's just, it's it's fun, but yeah, it's it's tough because. I, I do think Washington is more battle tested. They had more close games and Michigan really didn't have to play anyone this year outside of like us in Ohio state. And then Bama, like they're not as battle tested. So I, I think it's going to be interesting because you definitely see, saw them. Like I will say Michigan does keep their composure even after mistakes, which is really impressive. Whereas Washington, like when like they made one mistake, they get rattled just, a little bit. It, it, it piled up into like four or five mistakes and that's how you lose a national championship. So I think that could you know, play a factor in, in Washington losing, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. I think it's going to be a high scoring game though. I think it'll oh, be really? high scoring. Mm. Yep. 
So are, are you thinking like 30 plus for both teams? Yeah, I'm going to say like Washington, I'll say Washington 38 and Michigan 35. Like if I'm going off of my score. Nice. So I think it'll be pretty high scoring. Cool. I mean, I guess if I had to attach a point value to it, I'll take Michigan 31, Washington 28. Yeah. Oh, I watched the like Pat McAfee like telecast for the Bama Michigan game. It was it was so funny listening to like him talk and stuff and like like Bama's kicker punter got like murdered and like they didn't call anything and he was like <laughs> like calling oh, out yeah. the refs. That was great. And then like they showed like JJ McCarthy like meditating and grounding, which like science shows that's just a good thing to do for like athletic performance and like health in general. And like they're making this big deal out of it, like out of him meditating. I'm like, that's just a like visualizing. Like that's something I would do as like, you know, like cross country runner. Like I would visualize myself like running on the cross country course and like who I'd be running behind and like points on the course or like I would want to make my move and attack and like be aggressive and try to like break the other person. Like break them. Oh yeah, man. Dude, that is that's like my favorite thing to do when I'm running. Like like I'll try to find a point. Like sometimes it's like an uphill. Sometimes it's like a blind turn. Like when I'm racing, I'm trying to like feel out when like another person's struggling. And then when they're going like, like when someone else is going through a rough patch, like I like, like to attack, like whether I'm feeling good or not. And just to make them be like, man, like this guy just like put in this huge surge. Like I can't beat him. Like it's so like, a lot of sports mind games too. So like, especially distance running. So like you like that, I don't know. That's what I've always done. And then like, I, I try to find a moment of weakness, like twist the knife there, go as hard as I can. And it, it's, it's worked. Yeah. So I, nice. I've always stuck with it because it usually works. <laughs> well, that's a lot more cutthroat of a breakdown of, of running than I thought I was going to get on this podcast. Yeah. Like you got to, like you gotta be like you gotta be like willing to hurt. Like it's just like it, like running's so mental. Like it's it's it, like I people like underestimate like the the chest match in distance running. Like it's about energy management and like you gotta be confident when you make moves too and and stuff. So so awesome. So cool. We've got our picks. Got anything else that uh, you want to talk about? No, I think I think we covered it all. A very football heavy episode and. We'll have to get into some some of the other sports here after the you know, national championship and had a lot of fun football stuff. Basketball, they got a couple wins over the break. They're playing Michigan State on Thursday, 7 p.m. on Peacock. So that'll be exciting. If you're in the area, the hockey team, men's hockey team is playing, playing Army at home. And then we got a really fun game for men's basketball on Sunday. We're playing both Michigan teams this week. So we got away at Michigan State, and then they're going to be in Philly in the palestra that'll be a noon tip off you know so if you're a penn state fan who resides in the philly area definitely go check that game out i'm sure it'll be a good one as penn state takes on the wolverines so big weekend really excited for it actually uh, i mean no no men's volleyball doesn't start this early i was thinking they play this weekend but i don't think they do so gotcha but uh yeah so a lot of good Penn State sports. Make sure you check out that uh, composite schedule. I know personally, I'm excited for basketball. That's at the top of my to-do list. So yeah, excited. How about you? Yeah, same. It's uh, you know, it's a little bit of a lull, I would say, but excited to get more into that. Obviously, wrestling is about to kind of kick it into high gear. 
you know, just with uh, some of their dual meets. So we'll have, you know, more to talk about with that. Number one squad, hoping to repeat. So plenty of storylines to talk about there. But yeah, how does uh, how does the basketball squad look right now? Oh, looking pretty good. I, I liked how they looked against LeMoyne and played Ryder. Again, lesser quality opponents, but you, you saw Penn State win by some comfortable margins. You didn't see any Bucknell performances. So it, it was good to, good to see. Like Kanye Clary almost dropped 30 points. He had a career high with 29. That was awesome. And yeah, so I do feel like Penn State basketball is kind of trending in the right direction. So I think this away game at Michigan State is going to tell us a lot. They're Second Big Ten away game. Their first one was at Maryland. They lost in overtime. They played pretty well. I'm hoping they can continue to do that at Michigan State. Michigan State's been on a roll. And then you got the Palestra. It's a special place for Penn State fans. They usually play well there. Michigan's only six and seven this year, so they've been they've been struggling as well. So I, I think that'll be be an interesting matchup as well. So and then the following week, Wednesday, they're they're back at home. In the the BJC, that'll be a six thirty tip off against Northwestern. Who you know they upset Purdue, but they've also lost to like other no name Chicago schools in Illinois. So it's just you, you never know what you're going to get in college basketball. It's a it's a crazy place. So, but that's why everyone loves it. <laughs> yeah, awesome, cool. Well, I think then we have covered just about everything that we want to on this podcast. It was definitely a longer one, but hope that you all enjoyed it. If you have any thoughts about our grades that we've given to the football team like let us know tell us what you thought of their performance from this past season were we too harsh were we too lenient or do you kind of agree with us please let us know you can uh, hit us up via our website nittanyblues.com you can uh, contact us straight from there or you can contact us via social media we are active on twitter facebook and instagram you can find us at nittanyblues or nittanyblues podcast other than that vince why don't you cap us off here Thank you guys, as always, for listening. The best way you can support us is telling your friends, leaving reviews, follow us on, follow us on social media. We're found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Thank you guys, as always, for listening. And we want to remind you that we are the Nittany Blues Podcast. We'll see you next time.